Morning, Bethel. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Psalm 19, actually the whole of Psalm 19. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19, if you don't have a Bible or if you're using the Bible in the pew in front of you, you can find that on page 456, page 456. If you don't mind, if you could join me standing in honor of God's word. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true. And righteous altogether, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is God's word. You may be seated. Okay. So three weeks ago, um, Pastor Tyler began a series entitled Renewing Disciplines, okay? And as has been mentioned each week, I'll mention it again this morning so that it's crystal clear. Um, The title has a dual meaning. First, the spiritual disciplines for most of us often need renewing, right? We often need a shot in the arm, as it were, to renew disciplines that maybe have been relegated to the back burner, taken off the stove altogether, I don't know. But secondly, renewing disciplines also refers to the fact that these disciplines, as as we practice them, they are a means of renewal, of spiritual renewal. Okay, so Tyler taught on prayer from Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. You can listen to that online. If you missed it, Alex taught on fasting from Matthew 6, 16 to 18, and then last week I taught on giving from, in a sense, the rest of Matthew 6, 
Um, Now, this week, we're considering the discipline of Bible consumption from Psalm 19. Okay, so just right up front in the introduction here, I just want to make this crystal clear. This, of course, at the end of this whole thing, part of the application is going to be, read your Bible. (laughs) Okay, but this is not a box-checking Discipline. That's not the bottom line here. Yes, there's discipline, and sometimes we have to read our Bibles even though we don't feel like it, so that our hearts would be gripped and awakened as we read. But this is not box checking. It's not, you know, manipulate the deity to get what you want. Things aren't going so well. I better read the Bible more so I get on God's good side so he'll bless me in some, like, superficial, earthly ways. No, this is our soul's food. This is desperation here for life as far as the motivation and the reason for renewing this discipline. Okay, And then also, just by way of introduction, I want to make sure that we put Psalm 19 into the perspective of the whole story of the Bible. Okay, This is written by King David at some point in his life. But certainly after his He had been reconciled to God and put in right relationship with God. Okay, so so this is not read the Bible in order to get right with God. The Bible leads you to see your sin and your need of God. That you can't do enough of anything to be worthy. And it leads us to Jesus ultimately. The Word made flesh. And in him we're saved and we have the mercy and the grace and the reconciliation with the Father by faith. This is not an issue of keep the law enough so that you'll be good enough and worthy enough. No. The law, the Word of God actually shows us that we aren't worthy, we aren't good enough, and it leads us to Jesus. It leads us to the cross. And then we come to the Word, not in order to get right with God, to earn His favor, but because we have it, and we want more of His grace. We want more of Him. So listen to John 5.39. The Pharisees in Jesus' day, man, they read the Bible a lot. They had a lot of it memorized. You know what? You could read the Bible five hours a day, never miss a day for the rest of your life, and go to hell. So John 5.39, he said to those people, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. And he said, it is they, the Scriptures, that bear witness about me, Jesus. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Okay? So, If you don't know Jesus, don't hear Psalm 19 and think, oh, if I'm going to be pleasing to God, I better better start reading this book that doesn't make any sense to me a lot and check off a lot of boxes. No, no, no. (laughs) We'll start reading it, but read it to get to know Jesus. Get to know your own sin and your own need for a Savior and then come to Him and be saved. And then this book will be food for your soul. Okay? So just want to make sure that that's really clear as we go into Psalm 19. But let's just just reinforce this title, good title over the series, 
talk about a discipline that illustrates the dual meaning of the series. We need to renew our disciplines. We need to renew our Bible reading, probably all of us. But man, will this discipline renew us. This text promises so. Psalm 19, among other texts. I mean, one of the verses, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Anybody need some revival this morning? Okay, so there's all kinds of encouragement and hope. It's a good shot in the arm. So I hope you're excited and hungry to dive in here to Psalm 19. So God is not aloof. He's not keeping his distance. He's not playing hard to get. He's never been that way. He is a revealing, speaking, I want you to know me, God. We just need ears to hear or maybe eyes to hear. Just check in and see if you're awake. His revelation is all about, it's, it's all around us, okay, even with this crazy sleety rain, but it needs to be heard sometimes with our eyes. What am I talking about? Well, look at verses 1 to 6. Read the world. So you'll see the outline up on the slides, but also there's, some, there's a little outline in your bulletin if that's helpful for you to follow along that way. So first point, verses 1 to 6, read the world. The heavens declare the glory of God. They recount, they recite, they tell of the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork or his craftsmanship. Day to day pours out rain, (laughs) speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. A little confusing, but the point is it reaches everywhere. Okay, do you remember Romans 1 where it says, What can be known about God is plain to everyone because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived all across this globe ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So we're all without excuse because God has revealed himself this way in the world. We need to read the world. Verse 4, their voice the heavens and the sky, and what they say. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, in the heavens and the sky, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. Now, we're really going to focus the rest focus the majority of of our time here on the rest of the psalm, okay, on the discipline of Bible consumption, but it's more than worthwhile to spend at least a few minutes here on the discipline of listening to the revelation that comes through nature, okay, all around us. Sometimes a living picture is worth a thousand words. So we need to renew and cultivate the discipline. You could, you could say this is a spiritual discipline of listening to creation, okay, listening with our eyes, listening with our senses of smell and taste and touch, You probably don't want to go to Longwood today, but another day, you know? So the creation all around us is singing of the glory of God. His power, His creativity, His wisdom, His joy. When was the last time you quieted down and listened to the song of creation? 
When was the last time you looked at the stars? And I mean really looked at the stars. Like Psalm 8 style, where you so look at the stars as a creature under this great creator. And the stars are just his handiwork. And you, you just can't help but say something like this. When I look at your heavens, Psalm 8, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, what you've set in place, what is man, what am I, that you're mindful of me, that you care for me? I'm so small. When was it, seriously, when was the last time you really listened to the birds singing? I mean, sometimes I catch myself. our, Our little kids have sometimes helped us with this. They listen better than we do sometimes. There's glory all around us. We just are, you know, rushing around like this, and we miss it. It's a discipline. When was the last time you really saw some of the animals and birds and fish that God has made? Sometimes on my prayer walks, you know, like I go through Grayland over to Brandywine, the, the prayer, what's that, library. Um, just stop and look at a squirrel. It's a crazy thing, a squirrel. We're just dull. We've seen them too often. That's a crazy, miraculous thing. When was the last time you exulted in God's handiwork? Okay, so maybe one of the disciplines that you need to renew is the discipline of actually getting outside and taking a walk. Certainly do our bodies some good, but it will do our souls some serious good. Let's get away from the screens. Maybe you could even leave your phone at home for your walk. Do you think you could pull that off? Oh, I might go into withdrawal. Like, what, what if I, what if I, what if you What? We need to remind ourselves that we are human and that we are small creatures dependent on a big creator. We need to remind ourselves that we live in this vast created universe created by this infinitely powerful and creative God. C.S. Lewis had this great little thing where he talks about this discipline in letters to Malcolm, chiefly on prayer. Here's what he said. Pleasures are shafts of glory as it strikes our sensibility. The sweetness of earthly pleasures is a beam from the glory. When he realized this, he said, I have tried since to make every pleasure into a channel of adoration. I don't mean simply by giving thanks for it, One must, of course, give thanks, but I meant something different. Gratitude exclaims very properly, how good of God to give me this. Adoration says, what must be the quality of that being whose far off and momentary, he uses this crazy big word, coruscations, like his shimmerings and shinings, what must be the quality of a being whose far off and momentary coruscations are like this. One's mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. If this is pleasure-seeking, it is also a somewhat arduous discipline, but it's worth some labor. (laughs) So we can't let our circumstances, our life, blind our eyes from hearing the glory of God in creation all around us, the song. Okay? 
So we need to read the world around us. It's, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's terrible, it's awesome, and it's a book to be read. And yet, we also need to realize, recognize that the book is limited. The book of creation is limited. It's without clear interpretive guidelines. Yes, a picture can be worth a thousand words, and yet, visuals can often be very misleading without interpretation, right? So, let's say you look out, let's say the rain just kind of miraculously cleared up. This afternoon, you look out your front window into your neighborhood and you see some guy walking down the sidewalk and he's like waving his arms and he's talking. (laughs) And you're just thinking, did I lock the door? You know, this crazy man walking through the neighborhood. Well, let's say for some reason you step outside and you hear, accent, and then he turns his head and you see he's got a Bluetooth. So he's waving his arms because he's Italian, okay? Um, and he's got a Bluetooth headset on this, you know, ear that you couldn't see at first. And he's talking to one of his best friends, so he's just all. So the interpretation was essential to understanding. So another illustration here. Imagine a little person crawling around a landscape wondering why there are all these blasted peaks and valleys in the landscape of his life. It's maddening. It's annoying. Why can't it all be just a salt flat of smoothness? be a lot easier. And then there's these colors and the materials of the landscape. Why this black sludge over here or that brown goo over there or this blinding, sparkly silver stuff over here? Why couldn't it all be a little bit less blinding or couldn't there be more color over here? I don't like this color over here. I hate that color over there. I don't like this texture. So let's say the crawling continues. Until one day, somehow, that little person was plucked up and he began to gain some perspective on what he was crawling through. And it turns out he was crawling with this kind of myopic blindness along a massive masterpiece. And he's just blown away. There was great design in those peaks and valleys in the pox, in the points. There was beauty in the shading and in the darkness and in the light. There was subtle and striking wisdom in the textures and their location in this masterpiece. This would just be like revolutionary. And then imagine that that little person was drawn out even further to realize that the massive canvas was really a self-portrait of an infinitely massive and soul-shakingly beautiful being that made that intricate colossus with mere fingertip, finger-paint art to reveal his glory. That's shock therapy. We need shock therapy. The Bible gives the interpretation, the perspective. Okay, so how are you going to know how to interpret this world, your life? How do you read your circumstances? How about cancer? How do you read that? How do you read a job loss? Oh, is this this like punishment for something I did or said? How about a promotion? Oh, is that reward for good behavior? God pleased with me now? 
How will you know? How do you, how do you really know the answers to the deep, big questions of life? Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? How can we know God personally? We can't know that just from trying to read the world, read the creation. It only comes by means of special revelation by the Word of God, the Bible. So one commentator, Willem van Gemmeren, I had him at seminary. Yahweh has made the sun for light in creation and has given his word for light in redemption. Pretty simple, but a good, clear connection between the first part and the second part that we're going to look at now. Read the word, verses 7 to 10. So we're talking about renewing disciplines this morning, particularly with regard to Bible consumption. Well, why do we need to renew this discipline? So we actually have a prayer meeting on Wednesday night. I think maybe some of you don't know that, so I'm just informing you. And you're welcome. You're invited. Um, so I asked the Wednesday night prayer group, seven to eight, just so you know. Um, so I asked them this past Wednesday night, why are spiritual disciplines so hard? Like, why would we need to be renewed? Why, why is it oftentimes a struggle? So some great answers that they gave. It's not natural. Okay, laziness, yep, spiritual warfare. Do you think the, think the devil wants you to read this book? <laughs> no. Unconfessed sin, that was a very insightful one. Do you think that if you have unconfessed sin that you really don't want to let go of, do you think you're going to want to be quiet in prayer before the Lord? No, because <laughs> you don't want to face what's in your heart, or maybe you don't want to let go of something. Another one they said requires effort, and I'm putting a few together here, requires effort and planning and time. There's a cost. So one of the major themes that came out of what we were, what we were talking about was it seems like it's not as valuable as other things we want or need to do. No immediate reward, one person said. So we do this cost-benefit analysis, and the spiritual disciplines lose. Okay, so one of the texts we looked at was 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. You don't have to turn there, just write it down. Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, get that exercise, keep going with that resolution for 2015, it's of some value, it's a good thing. But godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. In other words, the gain is worth the pain. It's worth the pain or the effort of time and planning and so forth. But the question is, do we believe that? Well, oftentimes we don't. And, and that's why there's psalms like Psalm 19 to renew us in our realization of what's really worthwhile. Okay, to give us that shot in the arm to help us believe it. And so when you're struggling, when you want to just go do something else because it just doesn't seem worth it, some place like Psalm 19 can be really good to preach to your soul to recalibrate your cost-benefit analysis. So let's look at it here. Read the word, verses 7 to 10. The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. Okay, now listen. You're going to see in this list, you probably heard it when I read it um, for our scripture reading. 
There are several different terms for the Word of God that are used. We could focus on the nuances of each of those. We're not going to do that because they're all just, it's fairly self-evident, okay? We'll touch a little bit on the adjectives describing the word, so perfect here is one of those, but we're going to focus mainly this morning on the results, the effects of the word, okay? So reviving the soul, for instance, in this verse 7, okay? So what we, what we really need to see, I think, because our cost-benefit analyses are so, so often just out of whack, we need to see how the word does things, and it does things that are valuable, things that we need, Okay? It, the, the word affects change. It can transform. It has power and ability. It's not weak or worthless or ineffectual. And because of all that can do, it's so valuable. So the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The word translated sure there, okay, has the root, it's the, the same root that we get our word amen. Okay? Like, That's the truth. So the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. It's solid. It's to be believed. Okay, the opposite of that kind of sureness would be something like unstable or unreliable. It's kind of like shifting sand. Okay, well, there's there's plenty of that out in the world. Aren't you tired of shifting sand? You want to rock underneath your feet? Well, here, the testimony of the Lord is sure. You can build your life on it, just like the wise man who built his house on the rock. So consume this sure word, and it will be a rock of steadiness under your feet. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. They're right, they're upright, they're straightforward, they're open, there's no propaganda, there's no hypocrisy, there's no spin in the Bible. Isn't that great? I mean, that kind of honesty and openness is refreshing. It, It rejoices the heart. You know, all these guys in the New Testament, particularly the, in the Gospels and, you know, even Paul himself and Peter, boy, if they were trying to cover and, and build up their own reputation, they would have left out a lot of messy stuff, stupid stuff that they did. But instead, they're just telling the truth. This is what happened. There's no spin. So there's plenty of spin in the world around us. It's pretty sweet that we have this kind of honesty, openness. It's refreshing. It can rejoice the heart as we consume it. Spin and propaganda leads to suspicion, doesn't it? Cynicism. There's no joy in that. Listen instead to how this right path gets worked out. Psalm 107 says this, Then they cried, so the the people of the Lord cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way. Same root word as right. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. So if you're in trouble and the Lord shines a light on the straight path out, you're going to be rejoicing because you've been delivered. So the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. So joy comes when we follow the Lord's lead on the right path. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Flip back to Psalm 12, and I think we'll see a helpful illustration of what this means. Because the the word I think we need to understand is pure. The commandment of the Lord is pure. 
So Psalm 12, another Psalm of David. Look at it there, first six verses. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master of us, over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. And then this, the words of the Lord are pure words. In in contrast to the lies and the the disingenuous speech and the lying and the controlling manipulative speech in verses 2 to 4, the words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Okay, so you can see how pure, true, trustworthy words bring light to the eyes. When when we're surrounded with lies and flattery and hypocrisy or prideful boasts, it just muddies the water, doesn't it? It actually creates darkness and chaos within and around us. But these true, pure, clean words of God enlighten our eyes. They dispel the darkness and they bring clarity and order to the confusion and chaos. So, I mean, have you ever had this happen where, how many times has this happened? I'm (laughs) pathetically too many. Stuff happens, stuff gets piled on and you get angry, you're grumbling, you're frustrated. Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay, ever feel like that? And then have you ever had a situation where your circumstances didn't change a bit, but somehow some truth from God's word just broke in? And it just, it just changed everything. You could see. It reoriented you. Well, that's what this is all about. The words of the Lord are pure words. And they enlighten the eyes. Okay, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is, is clean or pure. Enduring forever. This one's a little confusing. It's one or the other. Either it refers to the Word of God revealing what it looks like to fear the Lord. Okay? So the path of fearing the Lord is the pure path. It's, it's clean, like ritually clean. And it endures forever. That path endures forever. Or it could actually refer to When you fear the Lord, it purifies you and you endure. One or the other. Those truths are true outside of this text. Um, Anyway, let's keep going. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then he says, kind of the climax here, more to be desired are they than gold. This is the... This is the like, punchline of this cost-benefit analysis. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. This is priceless stuff that we're dealing with here. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Sweet, delightful, satisfying. So the Word of God has priceless value, and it's worth way more than tons of gold, tons of money. It's valuable, and it's delightful. It should be sweet and satisfying to our soul's hunger. We should treasure this treasure. And we should savor this soul food. Okay, so I don't know about you, but I need to regularly be renewed in my valuation of the Word of God.
remember an illustration um, by John Piper's little devotional years ago. It was, it was entitled, Ransack Your Bible. And you know how in Proverbs it talks about like going after the, the treasure of wisdom? Well, he basically said, imagine you lose your engagement ring or, or maybe your wedding ring or some other valuable piece of jewelry. What are you going to do in the house? You're going to ransack the house because of how much that thing's worth. Well, we had to ransack the Bible because of the gems, the worth, the value, the treasure that is stored in here. It's a good picture. Okay? And we need our spiritual taste buds cleansed and sharpened. It's actually one of the benefits of fasting. A little cross-reference back to Alex's message. We need to eat this book. We need to pray that the Lord make us hungry. So we need to read on and chew on and treasure the Word. But we need to make sure we, point number three, don't just read the Bible. Look at verses 11 to 14. Moreover, by them, God's words, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. In a sense, this could go with the previous section, but it's kind of like a hinge verse. It continues the thought of the value of the word, but all of a sudden, did you see it? All of a sudden, David moves from talking about the Lord and his word to talking to the Lord about his word and his own life. You see that? So, in verse 10, he said, More to be desired are they than gold, sweeter than honey. Moreover, by them is your. All of a sudden, he's praying. He's talking to the Lord. More benefits are, are kind of unpacked here. Protection. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there's great reward. Blessing, fruitfulness. I mean, anybody interested in those things? Protection, fruitfulness, and blessing. There's a lot of pitfalls out there. There's a lot of dangers out there. We need warned. Sometimes we don't even know. We're, you know, it's like landmines out there. We need the word of God to show those things to us. Warnings are blessings for our safety and well-being. And then he says, in keeping the words of God, there's great reward. Okay, actually, instead of reward, something more like great consequence or great effect is really the nuance here. In every other Old Testament usage of the word, it's translated to show kind of the, the consequential connection between one thing and another. In other words, there's great effect. It's worth it. It's not meaningless. It's not pointless. Things happen when we obey the Bible, which I think we need renewed in because the reason why we don't read the Bible is because, does it really make any difference anyway? Didn't yesterday. It was a terrible day yesterday, and I read the Bible. See what I get? So we can't believe the lies that Asaph bought for a little time. Remember him in Psalm 73? He said, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my foot almost slipped, and he goes on. He was jealous of the wicked. seemed like everything was going fine for them. Then he said in verse 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. No! It's not in vain. In keeping them, there's great reward. It is not in vain to keep, to obey God's word. But do you see what David is saying here? 
He's saying, don't just read the word. Do the word. Keep these words. In keeping them, there's great reward. There's great effect. There's great result. Listen to Don Whitney. So I'm going to plug this. Book of the month, this month and next. It's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. It's kind of like a classic. It's been out for a while. It's a reprint. Here's what he says. The outcome of meditation, he has two chapters on It's called Bible Intake. It's the only discipline he has two chapters on. The outcome of meditation on Scripture should be application. Like chewing without swallowing, so meditation is incomplete without some type of application. Or Eugene Peterson, in a book called Eat This Book, (laughs) on feeding on Scripture, he says this, Christians feed on Scripture. Holy Scripture nurtures the holy community as food nurtures the human body. Christians don't simply learn or study or use Scripture. We assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love. Isn't that great? Cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in the company of the Son. You consume the Bible and it just strengthens you so that with the, the energy that you receive from that grace and truth, you end up blessing and loving and serving. It's metabolized. I love that. Or James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. So don't just read the Bible. Let's obey the word. But you know what? There's more. Don't just read the word. Let the word lead you to prayer. This is a dialogue, folks. We shouldn't read the Bible long before we're dialoguing with the Lord. This isn't a textbook. This isn't an impersonal course of study. It's a relationship with a person. So if you're reading, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh, Lord, I, I know that's true, but I'm so struggling with that over here in this financial area or that thing at work. or what. It just immediately goes from word to prayer. Help me believe this. And just as the sun tells of the glory of God and shines throughout the whole earth, nothing is hidden from its heat, remember that? So also the law of the Lord shines in our hearts and nothing is hidden from its searchlight. Listen to what the writer to the Hebrews said about the word of God. For the word of God is living and active. This is 4, 12, and 13. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning, judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. David knows this. He feels that. And so he starts talking to the Lord, not just about the word, and as he's talking to the Lord about the word, he's aware of his sinfulness and his blindness and his blind spots. So he prays, verse 12, who can discern his errors? So official, inspired um, endorsement that we've got blind spots. 
I do, you do. That's why we need the Bible to enlighten our eyes. That's why we need the community of faith to help us see things we don't see as they help us apply and understand God's word. I mean, just think about it. If you've participated this past week in any flattery, manipulation, lying, pride, self-pity, <laughs> etc., you've had blind spots this past week, <laughs> just by the very nature of those, of those sins. The Bible shows us who we are. It shows us stuff we can't see. It even <laughs> shows us that we can't see everything and that we really aren't going to see everything. But God does. So it enlightens our eyes enough for us to know that we have blind spots, which puts us in a very needy position before God who sees everything. So how does David keep praying? He says, declare me innocent. From hidden to me, false. We need mercy and grace. Like, on what basis is this offered to us? Now, for David, he lived in the midst of the sacrificial system, which was all looking forward to Jesus. So on what basis can you pray that just presumptuous prayer? Declare me innocent of hidden, hidden faults? What, just throw justice to the wind? No. Jesus died for all that stuff I can't even see. Isn't that great? So we can pray this with confidence. Help me see what I don't see and what I still don't see. Forgive me, Lord. We need the God of the Bible. Don't just read the Bible. Let it lead you into dialogue with the God of the Bible. So look at how David continues to pray. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, willful, you know, kind of like stiff-necked sins. Let them not have dominion over me. We can get hardened. And David doesn't want that to happen. Isn't it interesting here that the law, the law did not lead David to be a self-righteous Pharisee, even though he loved it here. And he just tells us how precious, valuable it is. Instead, the law was a schoolmaster to lead David to see his need of mercy. That kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Galatians 3.23, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian, schoolmaster, until Christ came in order that we might be justified by checking off the boxes. No, justified by faith in Jesus. So the word of God leads us to see our need, leads us to Jesus. Then I shall be blameless. I mean, just think about it. Who's the decisive actor here if we're going to be blameless? Well, if God answers these prayers, I'll be blameless. <laughs> and innocent of great transgression. And then he closes with a verse that's probably familiar to a lot of us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David knows he needs a redeemer. Again, the word leads us to the living word. Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. So don't just read the Word. We need to obey it by grace through faith. We need to let it lead us to prayer and even to pray the Word. So this is a dialogue with a person. Can't let Bible reading, Bible consumption degenerate into box checking. So 
Now we step back from the text and a few more applications under this banner of renewing disciplines. Okay, renew and be renewed. Point number four. First thing is a heart check. What is the Bible worth to you? And I mean like not just the right answer, but just think back over the last month. What's the Bible worth to you? If you're convicted, okay, great. God loves you enough to convict you, not so that he can just rub your nose in it, but so that you can say, oh, I want to treasure your word. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Change my values. This stuff is of some value, but man, the word of God is valuable for this life and of the one to come. I mean, we need to preach to ourselves. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is, this is soul food. I need this. Deuteronomy 32, 47. This word is not a trifle to you. It's your life. And so when we, when we kind of realize that the Bible is less tasty than Facebook nine, nine times out of ten, let's just hit our knees, ask for grace to be renewed so that we get renewed by the valuable, tasty Word of God. Where would we be without the Bible? Where would our faith be? Where would we, what would we know of Christ? What would we know of salvation? What is the Bible worth to you? Does that need renewed? Well, great. That's why God has us here this morning. Second point of further application. You're going to need to get saved this year. I don't know if you all know this, but the Bible has saved my soul in the last few years here. More than once. If it wasn't for the Bible, I would not have made it. And I'm not kidding. There are multiple times where, I'm not trying to just do that for dramatic effect, I'm just saying this, this really is the only way to live, like to live. <laughs> to endure, to persevere, to survive, to keep going. There was this one day, man, it seemed like stuff was just over a period of time coming to a head. I was just, and so I went for this prayer walk and I needed something tailor-made and the Lord led me to, to 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul was harassed by a messenger of Satan, you know, um, thorn in the flesh, but he realized that God actually gave that to him to keep him humble so that he would realize how weak he is, so that he would depend on the Lord and not get overconfident. And so the harassment was for the sake of humbling, was for the sake of help. And all of a sudden, everything changed. <laughs> oh, that's why this, I mean, I wasn't harassed like Paul was harassed, you know, but it kind of felt that way. And the word just saved me. It was great. I was, I was a totally different person five minutes into that walk. And nothing had changed circumstantially. I'm sure you have some stories along those lines. Share them in your home group. 
Psalm 23, I remember there was a month within this past year where literally Psalm 23 sustained me for a month. I love that song. You know what? This year, upcoming, you don't know what's coming. But I bet you're going to have some fights for purity. I bet you're going to have some fights against lust. I bet you're going to have some fights for contentment, against covetousness, for gratitude, against grumbling, for humility, against pride, for courage, against fear, some battles, for faith, against anxiety, for love, against selfishness. Do you think any of us are going to face any of that this year? And we're going to need delivered. Where's that going to come from? Just pull, us up, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps? Just grit our teeth and bear? No. The Word of God is perfect, reviving the soul. You're, you and I, we're going to need saved this year. So let's renew the discipline of Bible consumption. You have no idea how much you're going to need the Bible in 2015. Okay, third one of four. I'm going to try to pull this off. Some of you have probably seen this before. I never read the book. It's probably why I'm not so highly effective. <clears throat> A few of you got that. Forget it. doesn't matter. Um, all right. The Bible's a big rock. Okay? So we all have a tendency to, you know, kind of do too many small little tyranny of the urgent things like, you know, um, Facebook, social media, YouTube surfing, Pinterest surfing, TV shows, the news, ad nauseum, makes you nauseous, responding to all your petty email, you know, just leaving it open all day so that it just constantly fills everything and you never get anything important done because you just let it tyrannize you. Little apps on your phone, video games, TV. Turn your phone on. What are you doing? Okay, all that little stuff. And then, there's a lot of big things that we should, big rocks in life, you know, kind of like family responsibilities, and we need to tend to our marriage if you're married. Have some time for that. Work, it's a lot, I mean, a lot of good, big work responsibilities, you got to be faithful there, right? Um, kids, if you've got kids, you got to shepherd your kids. Um, this is your life, like that's your capacity right there at the top. So, relationships, um, exor- exercise, and that's not going to fit. Um, Bible reading and prayer, maybe. No, I'm going to break this. Don't tell the women's ministry I raided their closet. Just kidding. <laughs> And don't tell Ben I took his sand out of his sandbox, okay? I'll I'll return it before he knows otherwise. Okay, you get the idea. I still have two more rocks in here. Big rocks, important stuff. That's not working. So what if maybe we did it differently? What if we actually put the big rocks in first? What's a big rock? It's like a given because it's so important. So 
rather than waking up in the morning and getting in the shower and freaking out about all the things you got to do today, I'm too busy to read the Bible and pray. Really? Maybe you're too busy not to read the Bible and pray. What if we put that in first? What if the Bible was a big rock? And what if it was a given? And, you know, yeah, you got to be faithful with work. Man, now you got strength and grace to bear the fruit of the Spirit at work. Family responsibilities, marriage and kids, some of these other big rocks like might even get some exercise. Look at, look at these big rocks. They all fit in there. And then, okay, we got to do some email. Of course we have to do some email. A lot of email. Yep, we'll do the email. We might need to watch the news, read the news. Sure, got to do that too. And you know what? You can play some Flappy Bird now and then. Okay. Look at this. What in the world is going on? There's room to spare. Okay. The Bible's a big rock. I, I think we need renewed in that. If Matthew 4.4 4 is true, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The Bible's a big rock. And guess what? It's better sand. So the sand is like, you know, the email, the stuff you do when you're waiting in line and you're dinking on your phone. How many, I mean, just, you see this? It's kind of hilarious, but we do the same thing. What's the sand? Okay. What if you actually did Bible that way in addition to the big rock Bible stuff? Like, what if when you were waiting in line, you actually, I bet I could read a psalm right now. I'd love to, you know, it's better than honey. So I just, I'm in the context of this message. I didn't bring my phone with me. Um, renewed, encouraged to be renewed in the discipline of Bible memorization. Not to put notches on my belt, but because I need to feed on and delight in the Word. So there's a little app you can get. It's called Fighter Verses. Look it up. It's a great way to make the Bible be better sand than Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Okay, there's a place for that, but like put it in its place so that it doesn't rule you. I've actually, it was a while ago, I deleted Instagram because of like sitting in bed at night, like ah, this is a waste of time. I'll see the pictures in a different context. I buried Facebook in my phone because I don't, I don't want to go there. You know, every time, there's no YouTube on my phone. I'm not saying if you're really spiritual, you'll do it. No, I'm not saying, I'm saying big rock. And I need help. Like, I have to do this to myself so that I don't become enslaved. So, and then finally, plan for renewal. Okay, which is pretty simple stuff. It's just, do you have a place? Do you have a time? Do you have a plan for Bible consumption? There's a blog post a few, I guess now, two weeks back that has a bunch of different Bible reading plans. Scrap the dates. Who cares about the dates? But systematic, intentional Bible reading, balanced diet through the whole Bible. You can check it out and pick one that works for you <coughs> if you haven't already. If you, 
If you did at the new year, it's probably good timing for a shot in the arm because you just, it lasts about two weeks and then you start to fall off. Okay, so here we go. Get renewed. Book of the month. Read the book of the month. Great way for renewal, planning. So under the two chapters of hearing God's word, I'm sorry, of, of uh, Bible intake, here are the, the subheadings. Hearing God's word, that's one of them. Sermons and other things. If you're not a reader, there's ways to listen to the Bible. It's awesome. So the sermon thing, I know we're getting, I know it's over 12, but listen, this has been so renewing to me just in the last few months. I've, I've had some kind of desert-like time and like I need fed and I podcasted Ray Ortland, the guy that I've quoted from his Isaiah commentary. And man, he has helped revive my soul by the word. It's awesome. Last night, going to pick up some, some pants at a store. Someone gave a gift and I got these pants. They were hemmed at the bottom. And I go to the store and I actually bought a tie. Can you believe that? Um, a bow tie. And I left without picking up the pants. Can you believe that? It's ridiculous. So I got all the way home, realized I didn't have the pants. So they were still open. I called, ran back. As I'm going back, I'm finishing this sermon by Ray Ortland that I was just getting really excited about. In Philippians 1, to live as Christ dies game. Like, yes! Yes, Lord, I want that, please. Being renewed by the word. And as I'm about to pull in the parking lot, I thought, I wonder if the Lord wants me to start a conversation with these guys. It's 15 minutes before closing. I pull in, there's no, no, parking, no car in the parking lot. Had I not been listening to that message, I guarantee I would have walked into that store, grabbed the pants, and left. But the Lord was renewing my heart on the drive, and I wanted to tell these guys about Jesus. And so I just grabbed the pants. I said, you know what? You're going to think I'm crazy here, but I just want to... Anyway, so I, I, I shared some of the gospel with them, invited them to church, and it turns out that one of the guys knows somebody that, anyway, uh, later. Okay, do you have a plan for renewal? Hearing God's word, reading, studying, memorization, meditation. Don't, don't try to plan 15 things, maybe just one. What's the one thing you're going to renew, renew in? The beauty of this little book, though, is for memorization, meditation, application, he says benefits and methods. Very practical. Okay, so we're done we're going to close with a song, and the song is a wonderful song of response to Psalm 19. That we need to sing as a prayer. The melody's simple, but focus on the words. Pray these words. Let's prayerfully renew this discipline of Bible consumption, that by it we would be renewed and be renewing others through the grace that we feed on.